Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 61. In this episode, I plan to take on a message entitled, Does Everyone Deserve the Same Pay? This question will be examined in the context of believers in Christ. Does everyone deserve the same pay? I think that's a really interesting and important question that gets asked often in the society that we live in today. Take, for example, the pay equity scale between men and women in the workforce. Um, A comparison between perhaps capitalism and communism. Does everyone deserve the same pay? Well, I'd like to look at that question from a biblical standpoint and specifically to the children of God. In Matthew chapter 19, Peter asks a very interesting question to Jesus. He says in verse 27, he says, We've given up everything to follow you, so what will we get? And to that very important question, Jesus uh, provides a story. He tells a parable. And it's the only uh, uh, time that this parable is recorded is in Matthew's gospel. I'm going to read the verses in the uh, New Living Translation. And then today I would just like to share just some devotional thoughts and apply them to some experiences of believers I know in my life. And I trust that this message today Uh, would be more of an encouragement in our walk for Christ uh, than it is in trying to um, deal with context or uh, deal with uh, specific uh, theological truths. So let's read together Matthew chapter 20 and verse number one. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and he sent them out to work. Interesting that the daily wage was a a denarius, which is actually the wage of a soldier, a Roman soldier. So they would have known this was a very generous landowner. Verse three, Jesus says, at nine o'clock in the morning, uh, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard And at noon again, and at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again, and he saw some more people standing around, and he asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage, that Roman wage of denarius. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. So we're going back to this initial question. But they too were paid the same thing, a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour. And yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. So it against 
Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. It's an excellent story, and obviously Jesus is telling it uh, to answer Peter's question in chapter 19. Peter felt as though he had given up everything for the Lord, and so he wanted to ensure that that sacrifice would be meted out with a just reward. Well, we learn in the story that they're all handsomely provided for by the landowner, but what Jesus provides us with is an insight into the future day, into the eternal state, into what it will be uh, in under the consummated new creation when God's people will be renewed in a new heaven and a new earth. And what we learn from this story is that Jesus would answer this question, does everyone deserve the same pay? With an answer, yes. But I need to explain uh, in, in simple terms why I think that is the case as we have here in this story. There are three things that we learn about the people that the landowner, in this case, the Lord himself, who he has hired. He hired people at nine o'clock and he hired people at noon and he hired people at three and he hired people at five. And whether they worked a few hours or they worked many hours, they all received the same thing. However, there is something that is actually true about all of these people who came to work for the landowner. And I, 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 these are not my own thoughts. I actually heard them from a Bible scholar who learned them from another Bible scholar of his generation when he was a young man. And the three points that I would like to just bring in very simple terms today and give you some of my own personal examples are these three truths concerning all these people that were hired. Number one, they came when they were called. Yes, some were called at nine and some were called at five, but when they were called by the landowner, they came. That is something that is true of all of them. They came when they were called. Number two, all of them went where they were sent. All of them were sent to the vineyard. And whether it was at nine in the morning or five at night or 12 or three, when they were called, they all went to where they were sent. So it's true of all of them again. And number three, they did what they were told. Whether it was one hour of work or it was a full day of work, they were told to do something and all of them had a willingness to do it. I think those three points help us to understand why Jesus is showing us that each of these workers deserve the same pay. Now, I want to illustrate these three points today. This is just a simple devotional. I want to share and illustrate them by giving you a personal example of a believer that I know for each one. So number one, they came when they were called. I remember uh, the day I met a man named Frank. Um, Frank showed up at a job site. Uh, it was a tender of a uh, government client of mine at the time. And uh, there were only invited uh, bidders allowed to attend. We were to walk through the site. Drawings had been already provided. And these companies were mostly, I think they were just mechanical and electrical companies for this site tour. 
and uh, they were to review the project and then later on provide their quotation on a specific tender date. And I met Frank that day. It was the first time I met him. He was a bit of a rumbunctious kind of a character. Uh, he was a little older than my father. Um, I, I remember he had lots of very interesting questions and he found a way to just, you know, meet and greet and schmooze with people uh, that were in the site tour. I later discovered that he, he owned an electric company, electrical company, and he actually wasn't on the inviters bidders list. But through his schmoozing, he found his way at the meeting because one of the companies that was invited to be there, a mechanical company, decided to bring him along so that he could help price the electrical work. And so that's how I met Frank in a very unlikely way. And it just turned out that Frank was the low bidder and Frank actually won the, was awarded the electrical work. And I worked with Frank along with others in the company that I work with for that project was about a year. And then it ended up resulting in many more projects for many more years to come. So that's how I met Frank. Uh, my father took a very good liking to him. I liked him as well, uh, but my dad was more of his contemporary. And my dad would often speak to Frank about uh, his need for a savior and the problem with the soul condition and the problem with sin. And uh, Frank, he would interact and he would try to uh, stimulate spiritual discussion because Frank liked to discuss anything. And uh, he was definitely, uh, and still is, he's still living, uh, a great thinker. But to make a long story short, uh, one day my dad sat down with him in the office and put all business aside. And Frank had his, as everyone does, their own personal issues to deal with. And my dad decided to just try to re reason with him as it related to the good news of the gospel and that that was his greatest need. And it turned out we were having some gospel series at the time in my local church. Frank ended up attending. And uh, through that endeavor at a coffee shop one evening, Frank came to place his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Frank today is in the same local church that I am in. And I am very happy to serve with him in church community. Frank told me a few years ago, he was uh, helping count uh, the, uh, the offering at the end of a Sunday in a back room with another person. And I went and visited them just to see how they were doing and to say hello. And Frank made a comment to me. He said, you know, Michael, I, I, I wish I was saved when I was young like you because I wasted so many years of my life. And I, I tried to reason with Frank at the time and I tried to tell him, Frank, it, it really doesn't matter. What matters is what you do now as a believer. I didn't really have the... I didn't really have the idea of going to this section in Matthew chapter 20, but this is what I would tell Frank today. Next time I see him, I'm, I'm going to tell him, you know, the first point of this story is these people that were called came when they were called. Frank was called by the Lord when I guess he was probably, I'm guessing now late forties, perhaps or early forties. And I was called when I was a boy of seven years old. I, I might be the, the person who was called at nine o'clock in the morning. And Frank may have been the one who was called at maybe 12 o'clock in the afternoon. But Frank, like myself, when we were called, we came. And so I believe there's an equal footing here for us as believers. 
And that's why I think the Lord does teach us that everyone deserves the same pay. So that's the first example. The second one, uh, they went where they were sent. This time I'll tell you the story of a, of a woman, um, uh, a Christian woman who knew my parents before I was born. She was a believer then. My parents were not believers um, before I was born. They weren't believers when I was born either. And so this person has known my family before the gospel ever really penetrated the home and really changed it. And uh, she was single at the time and she invested a lot of her energy in my family. I'm so thankful that she did. But she invested her, her time to build relationships she invested time in uh, showing Christ-like attitude and care for people in need or, or people that could use a helping hand or maybe just listening to life's problems. She, she really just, she did what she could. And I often look at that example because we, we tend to idolize in our even Christian society, we idolize a uh, Spurgeon character or a D.L. Moody or a Billy Graham. And these were mighty men raised by God. Um, we have Fanny Crosby and we have, you know, many other uh, sisters. Again, we look at for their great heroic works on the front lines. But every child of God is called for a reason. And if you exercise that call and you form the workings of that body that God has formed and put together for the purpose of serving in, in the world and serving the church community, then we can see a great blessing in our own lives because God is working through us. And so I often think of this uh, dear sister, I always call her Aunt Kathy, not because she's my aunt by birth, but I guess by spiritual birth, she has that family connection. And I often think of her in the fond memories of someone who was just willing to do what she was asked to do. She went where she was sent. And I know from the time I am certain of it in the local church where she was from. They probably wondered at times why she was spending so much of her effort with this unsafe family. I mean, you know, it's probably not a good idea. You should be hanging just around other Christian friends. These people are going to take you down. Well, in the end, God used her to actually change that home and to see the power of the gospel. And I had the privilege of growing up in that home. So, of course, that's a, a bright light story for me. So... When these people were called, they went to where they were sent. And I think that is a second reason why everyone in the story receives the same pay, because they obeyed the landowner. And the last statement that is true of all of these um, uh, people that were called is that they did what they were told. We see no one resisting. We see no one fighting back. Whether they were called at 9 a.m. or 5 p.m., they did what they were told. And for this example, I think of my grandfather who resisted the gospel for most of his life. Uh, he would have been inundated with the gospel for probably the last 25 years of his life because the gospel came into my home and through my father and mother, the gospel spread and my grandmother was saved 
And uh, this is on my father's side. So this is my paternal grandfather I'm speaking about. And uh, some of my uncles and aunts were saved. And some of my cousins were saved. And my siblings were saved. And so many people were coming to faith in Christ and the family. And my grandfather, he resisted the gospel for a number of reasons. Usually it all bottles down to the same issues. Pride um, and an inability to, uh, a, a desire to earn favor with God instead of coming by way of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he dealt with that struggle. And, and his testimony is a, is a very interesting one. After years of resistance and years of listening and being under the sound of the gospel, he one day, uh, someone came, he was at a friend's house, someone came to their door, same national nationality as him, same Portuguese language that he was very accustomed to. And these people who came to the door, they had actually, uh, you know, a cult to propagate to uh, those who were there and probably have an idea of what group I'd be referring to. And my grandfather, if you knew him well, and uh, we as um, siblings, we love to tell stories about my grandfather because he was a really rough and tough guy, but he was a good grandfather to us. He made some horrible mistakes in his life and he was quite abusive in his younger days. But as grandchildren, we, we only saw him in a in a more favorable light. And because he was older, even the crazy things we did, they just were good excuse to laugh and to uh, tell stories. And uh, that seemed to build good relationship with him. But anyway, in his interaction with these people at the door that day, he basically told them that what they believed was garbage and no good. And then he, uh, he decided, they asked him what kind of, what religion he came from. And so he told them his religious background, which he was always very proud of, but he told them that basically what they did was, uh, was garbage as well. And so uh, they asked him if, they, if, if, if my grandfather then knew what was right, if everything that he was describing was wrong. And so he ended up telling them the story of the gospel. It's amazing how the gospel has that effect on people. And without getting into all the details, that day my grandfather not only explained to these unbelievers the gospel message, but after doing so, they actually, one of them asked him that when did he come to this realization and place his faith in the Lord? And uh, he had to conclude and did conclude to everyone's shock and dismay that he had come now to this truth at that very moment. And that's how he came to faith in Christ. Now, the reason why I tell you the story, it's a really neat story. He lived for about a year and a half, two years uh, from the time of his conversion to his death about a, a, a few months, I think it was about five or six months after he came to Christ, uh, he, uh, he came down with, uh, or diagnosed with cancer, and uh, he only had about a year after that to live. The reason why I tell you the story is I think his story fits very well in this last point, that each of these people from nine o'clock to five, they did what they were told. In my life as a Christian, I'm saved at seven, However long I live, if it's another two years or 20 years or another 35 or 40 years, I have been called to do what, uh, what I was told to do. And I believe I will receive the same wage in the end, uh, the same reward, uh, the eternal blessing, uh, the promise of resurrection, the promise of new creation and of God reigning in, in the eternal state and God coming to be with man. All of that is going to be just as true for me as it's going to be true of my grandfather. You know, in the year and a half that my grandfather lived and he was quite sick, he did some remarkable things in his short span 
that I hope to do in perhaps my larger span of Christian living. He was able to confess more of his sin publicly than probably I have ever done. A lot of those big mistakes he made when he, when he was younger and was so proud to resist the gospel uh, with, he was willing to now make peace with children and with family members that he had wronged. I mean, he went as far as a week before he died. Uh, he had lost his license. No one knows how he did it. He somehow drove himself. Well, I guess we know how he did it. He just did it illegally. He drove himself to the funeral home. He was a good planner and had everything prepped ahead of time, years in advance of even his sickness. His whole funeral had been planned out. And he had made changes. He had me speak at his funeral in the gospel, and my father told his eulogy. He made changes like that in even years prior to his conversion. But a week before his death, he drove himself to the funeral home, and he made one change to his uh, plans uh, with the funeral director. When he died a week later, the family was called. So my father and my father uh, had, uh, he had five siblings. One, one of his siblings, his twin brother, actually has been in heaven for quite a few years. So the other of the other four, I think two of them and my father went to the funeral home. So I think it was three of them. My, my uncle John, my uncle Eugene, and my father. And when they got there, all the plans were there. They just had to meet and kind of just arrange the dates uh, for the viewings and the funeral itself, etc. And when they got there, the funeral director informed them that my grandfather had been there just a week ago. They were surprised that he had passed away because they had just recently saw him. And they were all shocked by this because he had lost his license due to his eyesight uh, deteriorating. And so the funeral director said, this is a bit of a mystery to us. And we were hoping you'd be able to resolve the mystery. And they said, well, what is it? They said, we didn't understand why he came because he didn't make any changes to anything that we think was really that important. He made no changes to the way the day would be carried out, no changes in the venue, no changes in the speakers. He made this huge effort a week before he died to come here to make one simple change. So they, of course, they wanted to know what the change was. The only change he came to make and I find it touching because, of course, I know the man I'm telling you the story of. And many who are listening to me won't know who the man was or what his character was like. He changed one thing. One thing only. In his description that he had written to the funeral home years before in all of his detailed planning, they had a section uh, called entitled Religion. I guess in order to help them plan, they want to know your religious background so they know what kind of funeral to perhaps at least think about arranging. And next to that subject of religion, my grandfather had put the religion of his birth, the religion that he held to such high regard for most of his life. And in the last week of, of his life here on earth, he made extraordinary efforts. He, he broke the law. Whatever you say about that, I mean, that's, that's another subject, I guess, for another day. He even broke the law and he, and he went to the funeral home and all he asked them to do was scratch out his religious denomination and replace it with one word. And that one word was the word Christian. Now to you, it might not be a big deal, but to the man I knew, that was, that was a big decision. And he made that decision without his children knowing so that at the funeral home, they would see that to him, his eternal security was not based 
on a religious upbringing, but it was based on faith in Christ alone. And so I believe that he did what he was told. In the year and a half that he had for Christian living, he did what he was told. And for those of us who are called at 9 o'clock or 12 o'clock or 3 o'clock, may we have the same courage in the time that God gives us to do what we are told to do as well. So I go back to the same question. Does everyone deserve the same pay? In society, I mean, in job, environment, culture, um, the way we live now, this question, I'm not here to answer that. This question I want to answer as it relates to our eternal security, as it relates to the promise of resurrection glory, as it relates to the promise of a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell, where God's justice will be seen, where we will serve the Lord with gladness in a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, God's good creation restored again. I just want to say this, all of that mercy and all of that grace will be bestowed to each of us as the children of God in an equal way, no matter whether we were called at nine o'clock or whether we were called at five o'clock. May this encourage all of us to serve the Lord to the best of our ability, whether we are given a little time in this life or we are given a lot of time to serve the landowner, our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh,